Hey everybody, this is Andy J. Miller. I'm a freelance illustrator and also the host of the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show is called Ask a Freelancer and it's a new audio series by Cushion where you submit questions and I answer them. Now these questions are real life recordings of listeners and they're not me doing weird voices in my studio room uh, asking myself questions. Uh, now now that we've cleared that up, let's go ahead and uh, get to the questions. What's the key to getting your first client? Here's what I think about getting your first client. I think the number one key is, you know, you hear this idea of faking it till you make it all the time. And I think there's some truth hidden in that, but I think the core of it is kind of dishonest. And I think dishonesty usually comes back to bite you in the caboose. So I prefer the idea of dressing for the job you want, not the job you have. And I kind of liken it to this idea of, you know, the coach, if you're sat on the bench waiting for the coach to put you in, you know, you don't untie your laces, lounge back with your jersey half off. You know, you stay prepped. You get as ready as possible. You practice in the games. You go hard. And you do everything you can to look like a pro for that moment when they say, get in there, son or daughter, because it could be the WNBA, right? Ah. <laughs> So this can come across in all kinds of different ways. Like, how do you write about your work? You know, if you're pre presenting your work online, you know, in social media or on your, on your portfolio and you're writing really casually, really vague things about it and, uh, you know, you're saying that this work isn't professional. But instead of treating your personal work like a hobby, you can act like you commissioned yourself to do it and you can write about the work in a way, in the same way that a pro does. And that, that means that you're not lying, you're not faking it, but if you play your cards right and you treat every bit of your portfolio like a pro would, even if it hasn't been commissioned, then you might have your first client hire you not realizing that they are your first client without lying. And I think that's kind of the goal. Stay prepped, keep those shoeses, Keep the shoes laced and get ready to go in. <coughs> How do you get new projects? Oh, hey, Dad, and I didn't know you were looking for new projects. All right, I'll tell you what I think about this. Now, I wanna give you a quick disclaimer real quick. A lot of people don't like my answer to this, and I don't think it's because it's a bad answer. I think it's because it's a hard answer to accept. I think that ads and marketing and self-promotion has changed so dramatically that it actually is kind of a tough pill to swallow. So I'm gonna do my best and you try to you know, try to hear it. I don't know. I hope that it helps. I hope it lands for you. All right. Here's what I think. I think it used to be that a company like McDonald's could pay enough money 
for your attention. Like they could pay enough money to get a commercial uh, to force you to steal your attention to sell you something. So really, it's kind of rude because all the value is for them. They're taking from you to take from you. And I think we are super tired of that, super sick of it. We live in the age of Netflix, no commercials. Like everyone buys the no commercial Hulu. Like nobody wants to see that stuff, right? And so we live in that age where you can't buy our attention. Uh, I think things have changed to where going out there and doing direct marketing is actually possibly going to hurt you more than help you in a lot of ways. However, there's there's some good news here, I think. If you think of a company like Old Spice, what they do is they create 30 seconds of free comedy. So instead of paying to take away from you, they are going to create something to trade you, something of value to trade you for your valuable attention. And hopefully they do such a good job that you want to tell other people to enjoy this free, valuable content. And it's a really different approach. It's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not direct marketing, it's direct generosity. And I think approaching self-promotion and, and getting new projects this way is maybe a little bit less direct. Like you're kind of relying more on the value of your creativity. You're relying on a much more organic process than going to the exact client that you want to work with and, you know, sending them tons of promo stuff. Uh, but I really think it's more effective. I want to take it one step further though here because the other side of this is that I think we live in the age of one step further than word of mouth. Like if you think of the last couple favorite bands that you got into, I can almost guarantee you that one of them came from no one. They didn't come from an actual person. They came from a robot. They came from Spotify-related artists or Amazon recommendation. And because they didn't come from anybody, they felt even more like self-discovery. Like, we all know that friend that's always trying to push new bands on you and you're like aggravated because you feel like they're condescending you or something. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's just me. But I feel like now that we have this ability to discover things on our own, we really lean into that. And I think art directors and clients are the same. Like getting into something, you want it to be kind of an uh, this discovery moment. You don't want it to be something that someone forced on you. And so I think that this pushes this idea even further where it's better to do what Seth Godin says and pick yourself, make something worth remarking on, make something remarkable that other people want to talk about and share and push out there into the world and let that thing be discovered by the right people. Now, the one way that I think you can kind of be direct about this is have a good idea of the types of clients that you'd want to work for and then make work that would be really suited to them. Does that always end up getting to those clients? No. So yeah, it's true that it might not pay off in a very direct way, but letting the cool, interesting things land in your inbox that you didn't expect is actually more fun. And often it's more suited to who you really are than the random client that you picked out of a bag. And I think that this kind of organic growth kind of resembles like the startup world where 
there's a lot of like pivoting and there's kind of this idea that you make waves but you also ride the waves that kind of come to you organically and I understand that it doesn't feel like you have as much control as picking your top 10 favorite clients and sending them postcards or uh, you know cold calling it feels like you're letting things up a little bit more to chance but I guarantee you that if you go out there and make uh, clearly valuable work that has obvious use really great things will start to happen what's the best way to transition from full-time to freelance Okay, here, I think the standard answer is that you need like three to six months of your expenses saved before you jump into freelance or you need a guaranteed regular gig like a client that you know hires you every month or some kind of series thing, something that you know that you can rely on long term. And here's kind of why. Because there's no magic freelance god there's no <laughs> there's no magic freelance net that you know if you just follow your dreams and take the jump and leap into the abyss of freelance and think i know that it doesn't look like there's a bridge but if i take the first step there'll be a bridge that bridge doesn't exist i can tell you for a fact because i've desperately tried that several times early in my career and I fell way down and broke my legs at the bottom of the freelance abyss. <laughs> and uh, so don't do that. Um, you know, I think that, that that that's good advice to save up a bit or have some regular stuff going on. The second part of this answer is believe that job opportunities and making money can be a spectrum of rainbow magic. It's not black and white. It's not binary. It's not either have the dead end soul crushing job or live up the dream with no pants and freelance heaven. Like it's not either or you don't have to do one or the other. There's lots of ways to kind of mismatch the situation altogether for the best benefit for you. So that could look like, you know, taking off a few days a week where you go down to part-time at your job and do freelance the other part. That could look like, you know, doing some local work maybe that's less glorious or glamorous than the freelance work that you want to do, but it helps you pay the bills, helps keep that cash flow going. I recently heard Lisa Congdon say... When she made the jump to freelance, she also became a shop owner, a co-shop owner, and that helped pay the bills and keep some regular cash flow. And then eventually, when freelance was going strong, she made the full jump. Uh, and I think it's helpful to think in those terms. So believe that uh, freelance and employment and all of it can exist in a big, healthy spectrum of rainbow freelance magic. If you've got a question about being a freelancer, send it on over to us at Cushion App on Twitter and we will consider answering it on the show. Thanks for listening to Ask a Freelancer. We need a little jingle here that I could sing at the end, so you could send that to me at 
Andy J Pizza on Twitter, uh, and we'll come up with something real good. The music has been brought to you by the band Metavari. Uh, Nate Utesh, the lead man in the band, let me use that. Thank you, Nate. You can find their stuff at soundcloud.com slash metavari. Hey, one more thing. If you like what you heard here, go check out my podcast, Creative Pep Talk. You can find it at creativepeptalk.com. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it pretty much anywhere that podcasts are. That's where I put it.